0: Put on a Motown record, they'd dance all night. And they'd be singing, you know, dancing in the street. They'd be thinking, you know, Love Train. Um, they would never, if somebody said, let's let's start a Love Train. You know, if people all over the world join hands. They'd be like, what the fuck?
1: How do you do Venters? That is not the voice of Tim Sanders, the author of Love is the Killer App. One of my favorite books, by the way. However, that is the voice of Robert Egger, who has his own Love Train and he is also committed to serving food deserts in order to help people turn around their lives. So with that said, please stay tuned to this episode. You will definitely love it. That was Trent the jet they like agents on top of pavements peppermint patty fragrance taking the credits when they spits and spritz a chip and dip a dip and del i pin the tail. death throw the penalty id throwing your identity Theft, crime in the night pick pop keys to lock, stop drop roll the dice double double dough eat the rock road pro shambo tic-tac-toe crossing over road with the nice so low with my india you see me room rule claim monopoly with my commodities drop the eyes and cross the T's, teeth teeth, teeth how do you do venters well welcome to this edition of vent with trent the gent and today i am in the lovely city of los angeles at a place called la kitchen i'm sitting with my new found friend robert egger right did I say the right i'm sorry no man it's perfect <laughs> robert egger i
0: got nothing to
1: vent about yeah <laughs> and he has nothing to vent about but just to let you know a little bit about um, Robert, he started LA Kitchen. And in 2005, he won the um, best non-profit Nonpre- management book, Begging for Change. In 2016, he was one of LA Weekly's People of the Year. Um, he was also voted from 2006 to 2009 as one of the 50 most powerful and influential nonprofit leaders. And he was even in Oprah's magazine. Um, and they ranked him one of the real sexiest men alive. Oh man, you found that? I can't
0: believe
1: it. <laughs> I did. I, I try to dig up and find some things that uh, most won't. Um, he's also one of the 10 most caring people in America. And that was, um, attributed to him by the Caring Institute. And obviously, he's one of the pioneers of the community kitchen industry. So, Robert, I want to thank you for being a guest today on Vent with Trent the Gent. And so how are you you doing, first and foremost? Man, I'm
0: great. Are you kidding? I woke up in L.A., and I'm working with some beautiful people to do a great thing today.
1: Good. So let's... I always like to go back to the beginnings somewhat. Mm -hmm. And also in my research, I... Found that you seem to love music I do. a lot so I'm assuming you played an instrument when you were a kid so what instrument did you play when you were a kid and why are you so into music
0: well I never played an instrument you know I, I wish I had that power um that gift uh but I don't I don't but I, I am what I'd like to think is a little bit of an empresario in other words it's like the director who can't act, but he knows how to tell the actors how to act. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's that's my gift. So uh, but what inspired me about music was its seductive power to get people to hear ideas that would they would normally be afraid of if it was a politician, if it was an academic, if it was a religious leader. You know, they would they would shun that idea. And and it's really poignant because, you know, as you and I think many of your listeners know, this is coming up on the fifty-year anniversary of Dr. King's assassination the uh, the assassination of robert kennedy here in los angeles uh you know it was a time when students walked out here in uh chicano students walked out here in east la um and got arrested in large numbers it was a time of cesar chavez uh it was a wild time and but the music of that era when i was nine ten and kind of come becoming aware of the, the larger world and what was going on um you know, the music I, I was fascinated by how much my parents' generation, who were quite nervous about the change they were seeing. They could they could voice the lyrics of change, you know, they could talk about things. It was made easier through music, you know what I mean? Like I was saying, man, you know, if my father who loved to have parties, he was a Marine Corps pilot and he and his buddies loved to dance and have fun, but you put on a Motown record they'd dance all night and they'd be singing, you know, dancing in the street, they'd be thinking, you know, love train, um, they would never, if somebody said, let's let's start a love train, you know, people all over the world join hands, they'd be like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Somebody else sings it and suddenly so suddenly they can hear it. You know what I mean? So as a young kid, I became fascinated by that idea of, wow, if they're murdering the leaders, you can't let the, the, the dream die with the leaders. Um, how can you carry it on? And that's kind of, I always say, man, I kind of self-baptized at age 10 in that hmm. sense of what I wanted to do with my life. But it was this idea of it's one thing to want to change the world. It's one thing to try and be a little bit diabolical about how you go about it. You know? So, for me, music and the power of comedy, theater, dance, you know, all these things, if used purposely, could be a really powerful way to keep ideas alive and actually get people to hear them. So, growing up in, we moved to Washington, D.C., and so that idea of a nightclub really took form for me because it, it, it afforded the opportunity to have the, the nation's capital. In the backdrop, you know, how could you potentially influence elected leaders who might come to a club through your comedy, through your dance? I mean, look at what Saturday Night Live was doing. Look at what so many people, whether it's Trevor Noah, whether it's, uh, you know, just we've seen a huge number of people who have used comedy to actually get a younger generation to hear things. I mean, mm-hmm. think about many A younger generation doesn't read the paper. You know, it's so the thing But John Stewart was for many young people, you know, where they got their news. Uh, or Stephen Colbert, mm-hmm. so that's what interested me is you know the, the, the seductive power, the Trojan horse that can be a good show.:
1: So you mentioned comedy, theater, and dance, and we all know that music is a universal language per se. but you didn't mention food. What where, where does food fit in to, to that universal language in helping to bring people together?
0: Well, that's where my journey got interesting because I was interested. I'm a front-of-the-house man. You know. In other words, I wanted to put on the shows. Mm-hmm. And um, we ended up with uh, – I went out one night to feed poor people on the streets of D.C. I've told this story many, many times. But what was interesting is I just happened to know, because when you run a club and you want to put on shows, you have to have you – know you got to bring in money. And I'd, I'd gone from punk rock clubs to jazz clubs. Because that's where rich people went. I didn't have a particularly love of jazz. I just wanted to understand how, a, how a, a finer dining establishment, more of a supper club, which is what I envisioned my place being. How did that function, right? Now, sidebar, I ended up having amazing uh, interactions with some of the most powerful jazz legends of the day. I mean, I really, you know, I worked, I was 22, 23, 24, and I was working with Sarah Vaughan, Billy Eckstein, the Modern Jazz Quartet, Rosemary Clooney, Mel Torme. It was crazy, you know, and I fell in love with the, with, not just the music itself, but the, the professionalism of the players. But long story short, I knew how much food we threw away because that was part of the economics of running a club, right? So it was just a coincidence that, that little nugget of knowledge was suddenly became uh powerful when I went out one night in Washington DC to feed people who are poor on the streets and went out with a group that had purchased food. So I just thought to myself, wow, you know man, I work in an industry that throws away a ton of food. And not just the restaurants, but nightclubs. I mean, but I'm sorry, but uh, caterers, universities, hospitals. And so I innocently thought, man, you know, you ought to get that food. You get a few more people better food. Not, nothing's wrong with your food, but, man, they're throwing away crazy food around town. But I also, we ended up serving people who were outside in the rain. And that really frustrated me because any restaurants had jobs, too. And a lot of people I met were really lucid, um, polite, thankful, um, articulate people, you know, who were just outside of the street in the rain, I might add. So I just proposed naively, you know, man, you know, not only can you feed more people better food for less money, but you can shorten the line by the way you serve it. If you offer job training, get people off the street, they can be part of the solution. And, you know, it's just a suggestion, you know. And But I kept thinking about it, and I wrote up a little business plan thinking, you know, this is a pretty smart way to approach this. But uh, it was interesting because everywhere I went, it was rebuffed. It, I was told countless different ways that it wouldn't work. So I ended up starting what became the D.C. Central Kitchen in 1989 with food left over from the inauguration of George Bush Sr. But funny enough, I spent probably five years just saying, hey, man, uh, I'm just doing this, but I'm going to run a nightclub. You know, I'm just getting this going, then I'm going to run my nightclub. But eventually, um, food became my music, you know, and the kitchen became my club. It's just so interesting the way it all worked out. Wow.
1: So you're tackling, eliminating the... Food waste. Right. You're tackling recidivism. You're tackling feeding underserved communities with
0: healthy food.
1: With healthy food, which is very important. Right. Um, so, just describe to everybody in, in a nutshell. Is there a difference from L.A. Kitchen as opposed to what you did in D.C.? Is there any?
0: Well, they're very th- similar in that it, it's the same machine in other words food that would have been wasted people in mm-hmm. our society undervalued um, DC I used a kitchen in the basement of a shelter big shelter in DC in, out in the world actually at the time 4 thousand people man spent 24 years in the basement of a shelter and built came here and built this kitchen here but again most of the stuff I use is already there you mm-hmm. know I just try and find a better way to use existing resources you know so uh, but this time you know this idea of purposely I'm um, experimenting with intergenerational which I think has to be Throughout our organization is intergenerational. In fact, when you and I met, you know, you and your family were here volunteering together, and that's yeah. that's what I'm interested in. How do you get, in the case of the job training program, where in D.C. it was pretty much for men and women who were coming out of out of homelessness, out of uh, drug treatment programs, out of prison. This time we thought, how can we stop people from ending up down there? So it was like, let's offer young people aging out of foster care, who we know statistically have a tough journey. But how, and we thought, man, we also know that men, older men and women coming out of the prison system. Because again, don't forget, California a couple of years ago let uh, started releasing people who've been serving long-terms for nonviolent offenses, yes. oftentimes drug beefs. Um, what happens if we offered men and women who were coming out of long-term, who again, statistically, are just going to make a U-turn and go back? You know, Could we find a way to put them together and find that they could learn with and from each other? So it's that, right? I also, when I started this business, I was focusing primarily on restaurants, hotels, kind of prepared food, but all that food has lost profit. And this is what a lot of people don't get is that every morsel of food in a food bank in a pantry, somebody bought it, somebody manufactured it, somebody cooked it, couldn't sell it. They waited around as long as they could, and then they gave it to charity. So there's every incentive to decrease the amount of food coming in because it's lost profit. Um, so I came here to focus primarily on fruits and vegetables, which represents of the 40% of the food we throw away in America every day, half of it is cosmetically imperfect. So it's the, it's the one sustainable thing. But also another thing—it's not everybody's bag. But I really wanted to focus on aging in America because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look to see the future coming. You know, in other words, not—it—it's not, it, it, not wish—it's not a guess. I mean, just demographically, and if you look at savings patterns, every day ten thousand people turn seventy, and there's seventy million baby boomers just coming this way, and a lot of them don't have money in the bank, and they're going to live ten years longer than they thought. So what's that look like? So I thought L.A., which is Interestingly enough, one of the largest concentrations of older people in America. What would it be like if a place so closely associated with youth and beauty, or the perceived beauty of youth? How could what? What a tremendous opportunity here to to, to challenge everything about the way we approach aging, society, value, um, beauty, mm-hmm. you know, and just you know lovingly try and fuck shit up. Yeah. It's is interesting. okay? Oh, no, it's fine. Okay.
1: It, it's interesting. I guess it's a family show, but it's okay. <laughs> They've heard worse. It's interesting that y- you estimate that they would probably live 10 years longer than they would expect, right. especially with the types of foods that we're um, accustomed to eating in, in America. Um,
0: well, that's what's wild, though. If I can interrupt, I mm-hmm. apologize. But what's crazy, dude, is the food we eat would have killed i mean think about it, for average average um average age for an african-american man is still probably mid-60s mm-hmm. in fact for decades most african-american men died long before the social security they were even Kicking eligible in. could get it exactly you know? so food um has been something that used to kill people regularly consistently somewhere in their 60s you know my family then I mean, you could set your watch to when they stroked out you know because we ate butter, all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, it's still what adds flavor. But the point is, what you're going to see happening now, which is a phenomenon, is people who will have diet-related health issues that will not kill them, but will actually cost our society billions of dollars to treat. Diabetes is a classic example, hypertension, obesity. Again, what would have killed our grandparents, you know, outright. We now have the ability to sustain people with illnesses that make life tough. But what's interesting is that there's theories that you can actually turn around those illnesses with modified diets. And that's what we're experimenting with. Not only how do you prepare those meals, but how do you get people who've been raised loving meat, loving salt, loving sugar, loving all of those things that make food such a joy? How do you get them to um, modify those diets and maybe embrace uh, a little bit more, like, you know, a little bit less meat? A little bit, you know, more vegetables. So that's a lot of what LA kitchens do. Yeah,
1: good. I think the new term. Have you heard it? Flexitarian. Uh, no, no. It's mostly term, right? yeah. <laughs> mostly vegetarian, but they time to time they will eat some meat. So, well, we that's...
0: talk about cosmetic protein here. You know, the idea that that you know we're we're lean, really plant heavy, uh, and we also use a lot of alternate proteins, but we will oftentimes sprinkle small amounts of animal protein if. For a lot of people, look, man, I'm not a vegetarian or vegan, you know. I just, this is, and I I would love to tell you that my focus on less meat is health or sustainability, but honestly, what I'm trying to say is economics 101, you cannot afford to feed this many people meat, which means you must actually try and get out there and develop and then sell, sell, sell this new diet so that older people embrace it because they're going to have to. America cannot afford to give people meat every day.
1: yeah. I don't know. Did you check your email this morning? Not yet. Okay. I sent you something late last night. Um, and it was a, a, a book suggestion that I just figured you might like. And it was, you, maybe you've read it before. It's called, it's from the Expanse sci-fi book series. No, but I mentioned it already. Yeah. Um, Leviathan Wakes. I think that's the name of it. Um, Leviathan. I'm sorry. Yeah, Leviathan Levitin Wakes. Wakes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, um, it really, talks a lot about what we're talking about, about aging and about um, socialism. And I think part of, the, of, of, of that segment of the world, you, you'll have people that are mainly going to be in that basic society, um, which means that they, they don't work because in the future, there's, there's not enough jobs for us to all have and, and to work. And so I love how you're creating jobs for, for individuals here at LA Kitchen as well. So we'll let you talk about that in a minute. But there's no job. So they will be basics. And so they just get the basic foods um, monthly, which would be some some simple grains and proteins, um, basic clothing that's probably generic that everybody would have that's in that basic group. Um, so yeah, if, if you haven't read it, I'm going to read it too. So someone just suggested that yeah, to no, me. Man, so. I'm
0: fascinated by that. This morning I was actually reading about Um, the riots that took place uh, in many African-American communities in the 1960s and how predictable and how people, James Baldwin, other people, 1960s, they were saying there is a time bomb taking. To a certain extent, I'm just saying the same thing. And it's not that there is violence per se brewing in America, but there is a great sense of hopelessness in a generation of older people who will be alone, isolated, feeling unbeautified. I mean, we're creating a really Ugly emotional time bomb in which millions and millions of people who want to be active, man, want to feel needed, want to feel like they still have some a role to play. The Lord say historically says right up until now, you know, hey man, you you got a couple of wrinkles, man, you're you're spent, you're not beautiful anymore, you don't have any value, go retire, go go off and and be quiet and let us be happy and young, right? Don't mess around with our the zen of our world by messing it up with your wrinkles and your and your you know incontinence and all that other stuff, and you know. What's fascinating about that, that era that I was reading about, those people who the insurrections of the nineteen sixties, these are our elders now. You know, most people man, when you walk by a senior center, if you ask a young person, or even a middle aged person, you know, what generation is that? They look really quick and they've been conditioned to say, Oh man, that's that's the, the depression, that's World War II. And it's like, No, I mean they're those people are ninety. They're they they've passed in many respects. This is these are people who marched with Cesar Chavez. These are people who went to Woodstock or Wattstack. I mean, they're these are people who, who have, you know, they, they march for equal pay. They, they, you know, they march for their first Earth Day. They, they close down the Vietnam War. You know, these are people who have a great power left. And so what interests me is not just their nourishment, but their, their engagement, their lifestyle, their voting, you know. So there's a lot um, that I'm very excited about. You know, what other people see, the silver tsunami. You know, um, of these older people rising up, you know, I see a beach party waiting to happen.
1: Yeah, totally. Let's talk about a little bit more about food. So do do you entertain a lot? Oh, yeah, man. (laughs) So when people come to your home. What can they expect to eat? What I mean, is there eat, a lot of man, pressure? Tequila, man. That's what, that's what I said. <laughs> Fresh agave.
0: No, man. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've, I've never have been a food guy. I mean, I love food, but I love the power of food. That's what I like. So, uh, you know, I'm really lucky, though, because, uh, in fact, this goes back a little bit to the dilemma we just talked about. My sister-in-law, who is 10 years older than my wife and I, um, and, and luckily who we all adore and vice versa, she's moved in with us, right? So, she and uh, my wife, man, every day I come home, man, I'm, I'm like king of the world, baby. I come home, and the two of them have been messing around all day. They get along like peas and carrots, man. So, they've cooked something. They've got hors d'oeuvres made. They're like, let us show you what we did around the house today. But again, it's the power of family. You know, it's it's, it's that idea that many people would say, oh, what a drag, man. Your sister-in-law moving in with you, versus, no, I'm actually really happy, man. I mean, you know, I, I'm really excited to have the three of us kind of tightened up. But... Um, we're, we're really simple people. You know, I, I, am not a, you know, we're not fancy people. I'm not, I'm not a gourmet cook. I don't get, tur- you know, I say to somebody uh, last night, cause the students of class 13, we were at the all-star chef classic, which is one of these couple of hundred dollar tickets mm-hmm. where people just get, you know, beef cheeks and, you know, all kinds of, you know, crazy duck <laughs> yeah. <with> <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's fine, man. I mean, more part two, that's not, that's just not my fault. You know, I, I wouldn't know a good wine from NyQuil. You know, uh, I'll drink them both.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Let's talk about school in in a certain aspect. If you had to build the perfect university, including a culinary department, who would be your professors that you would hand select?
0: Damn, I've never had that question. That's (laughs) great. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm really lucky. I've got some people on our board who I really admire. Uh, Rudy Espinoza, who is our board chair, who runs a program called Learn, uh, is doing powerful work with microcredit. And I'm fascinated by what we teach and what we don't teach. So I'm I'm really interested in economics and how do you teach kids how to own a business, how to manage their own life. You know, so they don't they don't fall into it. they 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 learn how to use credit, not be used by credit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'd love to have people who could come in and teach powerful works So of uh, economics. But you know, also, man, um, you know, I, I, I'm not a crazy radical in a way, but I think America could use a, a very good dose of an alternative history class. You know, so Noam Chomsky, you know, I'm fascinated by, and uh, you know, the way he talks about America's responsibility for much of the strife in the world. And, I, you know, I don't want to say we're a horrible people, but I think we have to understand that our government did some horrible things in mm. our name. And we need to own that and, and be... Uh, I think the world would be a whole lot better if America could actually acknowledge the role we played in Iran, in Central and South America, in Africa, uh, in Europe. I mean, frankly, if you look at now what's going on with um, the Russians here, we've been doing that for 60 years, man. Radio Marti in Cuba, Radio Free Europe, which we grew up thinking was the best thing ever, man. Look at that, man. We're, we're beaming in the truth, you know. But one person's truth is another person's propaganda. So, anyway... <laughs> um, but, you know, I've always been intrigued because I did not do well in school. I did not go to college. I barely graduated high school because, like many chefs I've met, um, you know, it, it was said that I have, like, six TVs going on at the same time in my head. You know, and I can hear all the stations, but I can't focus on one. You know, so it was very hard for me to work and study out of a book. It was very difficult. Like, I, I noticed you've taken beautiful notes. Mm-hmm. That's just not my th- – I've never been a good note taker. I've never. Been, you know, it's a free free association thinking. So for a lot of think about it, we teach every child uh, pretty much um, uh, uh, out of a book, you know. Versus many people like me who are manipulative learners. I, I I'm a tactile learner, you know. So again, we're forcing all these children to learn, you know, out of a book, and and force them to try and for, for many people whose brains just don't work that well. So I love the idea of how can you teach people alternate ways. So for example, cooking, um, we did a lot of work in schools. And the idea was in DC, but the idea was, can we teach, um, remedial math and science or history out, out of a kitchen? And I still think the kitchens are probably the most underutilized learning laboratories in America. Imagine if children who have a natural love and desire for, to cook could come down to the cafeteria and do service, do math, do science, do science, do history, you know, do nutrition and care for their community at the same time. So part of the vision I had, and still grows, with the thing I started called Campus Kitchens, is you know after intergenerational after school programs, intergenerational uh, gardens, uh, after school cooking clubs, you know meals to go uh, as uh, fundraisers for the schools. So imagine if kids came home and said, you know, mom, mom, dad, dad, whatever, let's uh my, the that, the school cooking club uh, is doing a program. You know, if we buy dinner, they're doing three meals a week that we can buy. And if we raise enough money, we can get an art instructor, a music instructor, to come back to our school. I mentioned then kids learning about money, you know, in their school and how to raise money and how to how to you know just all that. I, I just think I, I would focus on the on the kitchen and then work out from there.
1: Good. There's, um, I'm totally down with with that paradigm. Um, have you heard of? Sue's Tech Kitchen. I just wanted to no, look that man. up. No, uh, let's see. So that's right. Randy Zuckerberg's, Mark Zuckerberg's, I think younger sister, might be older sister, um, and so that's what she's started over in New York. And they're going to be doing a tour of, of this, as you can probably scroll down and see that. But um, it sounds like that might be something you might want to, you know, get in touch with, partner with, perhaps. You know, so why um,
0: it's like, it's like Mark Zuckerberg's sister, Ke- Elon Musk's brother. Uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, the Sage of Omaha, Warren Buffett's Warren Buffett. son, have all done food projects.
1: That is very Isn't interesting. It
0: interesting, you know. It, you know, it, again, it helps when there's money in the family. Now,
1: but why is the question? Is it because of what you're alluding to, or?
0: Well, I think food, though, is not unlike hip hop. There is a global language, you know, and I think people. What's what's thing? What again? What's powerful about food is a. You know, going back a little bit to our history, America still likes to see itself as a glo- as a as an industrial economy, but we're really a service economy, mm-hmm. and food is what we sell to one another. And at the same time, food is for many aging boomers; it's the it's their last drug of choice. You know, besides their heartburn medication and all that stuff. So there's a lot of things that food, you know, covers. But again, it's 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 one of our major industries. It's probably the area. area outside of media in which there's the most innovation you know when so when you think about all the technologies and all the explosion of creativity around music and 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 and, uh the arts food is just part of that food is paint food is musical notes you know uh, but it's like the symphony you can eat you know yeah
1: that's awesome let's go back to the brain since you mentioned the brain a little bit and this is a segment that we do on every episode of pent with trent the gent so normally i start with are you right-handed or left-handed right Right right-handed most of my guests have been right-handed for whatever reason. Then I think I already know the answer because you kind of touched on it. Are you right-brain or left-brain?
0: am a I'm a, a right-brain man all the way. All the way. No, right brain is is, is left Cre- brain creative. Yeah, right yeah I'm totally. I'm all right brain.
1: All right brain. All right. Because normally most say that they're somewhere in between. But no, I mean I,
0: don't mean wrong, man. Mm-hmm. I can I can figure out the a formula. I'm like a chef of community i can see things in connections that, that others can't so that's my little thing uh but I, again it's it's creativity i'm all right brain
1: yeah that's awesome so you're the first one to say that's all me yep um there, ain't,
0: there ain't nothing wrong with being all right
1: <laughs> i read somewhere that you described yourself as a, a showman can you describe how that came about or is there a story that came to how you described yourself
0: as a showman you know, it's funny when when I was young and, and I, I, I announced to my family, my father at a very young age, that I was going to open the best nightclub in the world. And as I said, I'm the firstborn, which is another good question. You know, we, we found out that a bunch of us here at LA Kitchen are all firstborns. Hmm. Um, but uh, uh, my father pulled me aside on graduation day from high school. You know, and he came over with those big old dad eyes, put his arm on my shoulder, you know, got up close. He's like, son, man, you know, you love to talk, man. You got the gift. You know, you should be a salesperson. You know, and I looked at him, it's like, man, you know, what did I ever do to you to say something like that? That's that's cold, <laughs> man, a salesperson. But the reality is, I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a natural salesperson. I've just chosen. To me, what he was talking about was almost that, That remember the graduate, you know, plastics thing. So when I heard salesman, I thought that. But actually, I'm salesperson, just like, and I don't want to equate myself in any way, but the, the, the thing that's enshrined on the Dr. King thing, I'm, you know, I, I am a, 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 what's that, right? I'm a... a, a a band leader for social justice is that? What
1: yes, I think that's it.
0: Um, but that idea of same thing. I, I, what I'm selling is a different kind of America. But what I've discovered going back to that Trojan horse is sometimes people don't need you know the medicine people need isn't necessarily what they're going to buy. So sometimes you got to you got to you got to seduce trick you know or, or kind of get people to to try something they don't think is they're going to like. You know, it's like saying to somebody, "I'm going to make you a vegetarian dinner." Most people are like, "Oh, I won't like it." So you got to sometimes trick them into thinking, you know, that they're or not knowing what they're eating. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So there's a lot of that in, in what I do. Um, you know, the kitchen is, is a big Trojan horse. Um, I, I've always I've always been fascinated by the story of that uh, that siege. But what most people don't get is it was a ten year battle. You know, we we view it as a weekend thing. That just man, all of a sudden they came up with this idea, but ten years. Um, king uh, Agamemnon did the same thing the same military tactics that every other king every other warrior embraced didn't work couldn't make it through it took a younger person Odysseus to come along and say hey man yeah, let me try something crazy you know call it crazy but let me just try it. what do we have to lose we're 10 years in and don't forget the lifespan back there was about 34 years so that's a long ass time so uh, but it, again all it took was using the same thing that, that had been laying around and they used it a different way they were in the gates the next day so for me, food is a powerful way, um, and kitchens, music—you know—all these things. So there's a lot of ways I'm trying to trick people into trying things that they're, they're they're a little bit afraid of. And one of them is that idea of everybody has a role to play. You know, everybody has a gift. Everybody has something to contribute. A great nonprofit doesn't try and fix the problem. It's beyond me, but I can at least lead people to see the power of community when they work side by side, and that's our bag.
1: Mm-hmm. So when you come across a person that has been um subjected to drugs over the years or have been incarcerated how can you trick them to believe in themselves and to show them that they do have a gift how, how do you do that
0: well you know instead incentive, instead incentivation what incentivize uh-huh. you know you give people uh, you know and I also I'm a big believer in something called uh, relentless incrementalism you know it's what I practice in my life it's the idea of of small relentless movement forward you don't try and make the you know try to jump too big jump too high run too fast just a steady steady roll you know wins every time so for example um one of the things we do on the very first day of class when most people think they're coming into a school and most people didn't do well in school so they're just waiting to think i'm just gonna fail yeah, i'm out of here yeah, i failed everything else <laughs> in my life this is just what my parole officer or my family or my you know somebody told me i gotta go do But on the very first day, we'll say, in effect, um, you know, look, somebody's going to get a decent meal because of you. Some mother's going to be out there working and her child's going to get a meal. Somebody out on that street, um, maybe the place, the the corner you left, the person who's out where you used to sleep, is going to get a meal. Maybe they'll begin a journey in. So I think on the first first day, there's a sense of, hey, man, you know, I didn't expect that. And suddenly that sense of I I have a role here, you know, I'm needed, you know, what I'm doing here. I'm taking care of myself but i'm taking care of others at the same time that's a new thing right mm-hmm. uh, we'll oftentimes bring in very quickly uh chefs who can say look man you know i was in prison you know i was in foster care i was an addict and now i run my own business and you can too uh we'll also bring in chefs who also have jobs who will say for example uh one of the chefs at uh spacex right comes in class every time and he'll say look man we're going to mars i'm cooking for astronauts who wants to cook for astronauts with me you know, and, uh, but you got to come here. I only hire people who showed up every day. And I'll hire people. I pay good wage and benefits. And by the way, I'm going to Mars. Who wants to go to Mars and cook for astronauts? So for some young person, somebody in the audience, man, it, it might be like, oh, man, that's what I want. You yeah. know, for another person, it might be, you know, it's like, hey, man, you know, we're partnering with the Chargers. You know, and, and, and the Chargers might come along and say, hey, man, we want to uh, hire a bunch of people to come and work out the stadium. For somebody, the idea of, oh, man, if I could watch football games every week and get paid, paid. you know, man, bring it on, you know. So there's a lot of different ways you try to incentivize people to see their possibility. We um, do cooking demos. A lot of the way we try and um, get older people to try something new, as far as food, is to show that we are allies in their community. So, for example, when you go into a community with older Latinos or old people from, uh, you know, uh, Southeast Asia or any one of a number of countries, we have so many men and women who are in our training program who come from that community. So if they can go out and be part of the cooking demo and talk about how L.A. Kitchen is giving them a chance to reclaim their life and own their own destiny and how happy they are to be cooking the food for these people today. Suddenly, that person who's like, man, I don't like that food. Suddenly, they're like, hey, man, that young man looks a lot like my grandson, and I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give this food a shot because I can tell that young man is proud of what he made. You know, So that's for that young person. Suddenly, that older person sees them as a chef, and that might be the first person who ever called them chef for the first time. Mm. And so, again, what I mean, so this is the kind of way that you – you know, you put people in positions where they're going to see their own power, but you also use their rise to help somebody else rise simultaneously. I'm interested in the idea of everybody rises together. Mm-hmm. How do you set the stage that happens?
1: Wow, that's awesome. Let's get a few more um, segments that we always do on Vent with Trent the Gent. Uh, uh, you're not Catholic by any chance, are you?
0: I was raised Catholic. Oh, okay,
1: good. Excellent then. 'Cause Because normally we do a segment called invent with trent the gent um which best invention of all time but during lent i like to do lent with trent the gent so what (laughs) (laughs) what if uh, you were raised that way so maybe you don't practice but if you had to give up something for lent during this lent period what would it be or what is it
0: pettiness hmm sadly pettiness has the the, the secret password of my heart. I I've, I work so hard not to be um, jealous, uh, envious, um, suspicious, um, and too often uh, in my business. Now, I, I I would I would I would back that by saying, in effect, I get very I'm very 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 adamant about the difference between charity and change, and so I can be extremely uh, spiteful towards people who do charity who willingly ignore what I think is their responsibility, not just to feed the poor, but to lift them up. Now, let's go back to the to the Bible, if you don't mind, for a second. Because as a kid, how many times have we heard about the Good Samaritan, right? Mm-hmm. And so we hear the story, we celebrate the idea that this guy stopped, picked up somebody and took him to town, you know, uh, and, and, and checked in on him. But at the same point, is that enough? I mean, just because you did that good deed doesn't mean you don't have a larger responsibility. If you know, for example, it's like if you picked up that, that, that person on the side of the road and thought, well, man, this is the spot where robbers are going to be roosting all the time because it's an easy place to jump in and, and you know, uh, Shanghai somebody. Does he have a responsibility to go to the, to the local constable and say, hey, man, we got to do something about it. I and mean, the constable won't do something about it, does his responsibility end or does he have more responsibility? So I've always been intrigued by, sometimes the Bible lets people off pretty easy and I've always been intrigued by how do you, how do you as either a, a, a human, a citizen, Um, you know, and again, I, it sounds bad. I don't want to make this gender, but growing up in the era I did, you know, your, your duties as a man, you know, how do you, um, abdicate responsibility, um, to the larger thing? So my thing is, I understand people's understandable desire to do basic charity. I fed somebody, but after a couple of years, my thing is, Hey man, you know, you need to, you need to open your eyes a little bit wider, man. You're, you're willfully, you're willfully. Um, holding people where they're at so you can look good doing your charity versus mm. working hard and taking risks and sometimes risking it all to liberate another per- another person. And so that's oftentimes what I took out of the Bible was that sense of it's not enough. Remember the the story of, uh, and I, I rarely talk about the Bible, man. It's not my thing. But as a kid, though, these things fascinated me because mm-hmm. there was a story about the master and the three servants, and the master left each one with equal sums of money and said, now be gone, you know, Make, take, care of, take care of what I'm giving you. And the first servant buried it, right? And the master mm-hmm. came back and beat him. And as a kid, I remember it's like, dang, that's what I would have done, you know? But this idea of no man, you're, you're supposed to risk. You know, you're supposed to grow something out of that. And so that was another powerful lesson. If I have food, shame on me if I just say, oh, I have an orange, here's an orange, versus if I can teach somebody a skill by what we can do with that orange. So if I can get two people who would never normally interact to work together side by side to peel and quarter that orange, and if they could go out to the school down the street in their own community and show the power of that orange because the kid is nourished. Maybe meet that child's mother who's so happy to know her child's at that after school program so that she can focus on her job and get um you know, get the independence she needs to or the skill she needs to be independent. You know, see what I'm talking about? It's yeah. like you have this responsibility to take it as far as you can. So that's why sometimes I can be petty and and spiteful because I, I, I get really morally indignant when I see people just just kind of towing the, the, the standard line when I think there's a higher calling as citizens. If you're a person of faith, um, there's a higher calling than just doing this, what you need to do. You have to go a little bit above and beyond. Yeah,
1: I like how you said they feel like they're helping, but they're holding people where they're at. And you don't like to get too religious. I don't like to get too political, but that seems to me sort of like the democrats sometimes that we're they're they're trying to help but they are actually holding people where they're at well
0: there's it, a lot of considerations about power and how you maintain power um you know i've always been intrigued again i'm going back in time and many of your listeners might not even relate to this but we oftentimes view dr king and his um alliance with lyndon johnson to get the civil rights pass um act in 1965 but Lyndon Johnson for decades was a Southern Dixocrat who did everything he could to hold people back until it was obvious that black men and women were gonna get the vote, and suddenly Lyndon Johnson became everybody's best friend because he knew where the power lied. It's mm-hmm. like I might have spent half my life holding you down, but now that you're free, man, we gotta be friends, you know? So I'm always I'm always dubious of, of politicians. How I don't wanna be cynical of politics. Just like you don't as a young man, my I've never lost my faith, but I've just in effect lost my tolerance for the man's rules of often of religious orders. Similarly, I don't want to lose my faith in the political process or democracy. There's the old saying, don't confuse the message with the messengers. So I believe strongly in the message of democracy and the message of spirituality, but I sometimes can be um, frustrated by the rules and oftentimes the men um, that have made those rules yeah
1: before we wind down let's let's do one more segment, and most people get kind of frightened over this one but this this is the fill in the blank segment. normally, there's three fill in the blanks. I added a extra one for you okay. just to see if you see go where where, go. where 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 you take take us so don't stop believing, don't stop believing. I always when I first came up with that segment, I'm like, I wonder how many people are gonna say don't stop believing and actually gonna sing it uh expound on that i, I know it's probably well, pretty yeah, man
0: as i said don't stop believing that people are, are good don't stop mm-hmm. believing that everybody has a role um don't stop believing that you're still a vibrant active human no matter how old, how old you are you know i mean I, you know it's funny how a couple of years ago man my wife and i after 30 some years of marriage ended up finally driving up the coast road of california in a convertible now when you're young you think maybe someday 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 and I was laughing because it was an old uh, I remember the, the band Chicago. I was not a big fan of Chicago, not same as I wasn't a big fan of, of uh Fleetwood Mac. But it was funny how there was a song, uh, We've been waiting such a long time for today. And I was laughing, it's like, damn, baby. I mean, one of the best moments of our life, and it's a Chicago lyric that sums it up best. Yeah. You know, but again, don't stop believing.
1: Just driving up the coast yep. in a convertible. Yep. Way back when that just seemed unfathomable to well, you. Well, it
0: just was a dream. You know, is that something mm-hmm. that like Someday we will do this. And it's like funny, man. My wife and I are now 60. And we, and, and we look at each other. Now. now, in our eyes, we see the, I see the, the beautiful, you know, cutest chicken high school still in my eyes. But we're older, yes. you know. Um, so there is an element of you can't imagine when you're young and you're getting married that you'll live and, and be happy as long as, as I, I have been lucky enough to be with my wife. Um, so anyway, don't stop believing.
1: Okay. Second one. You can rock plan. life. You can rock life. So you get to expound on all of them. Oh,
0: okay. Well again, <laughs> man, I think a lot of people feel like, you know, too many people accept the, 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 the rules, the road, the you know, the map, um, everything as as they inherit it. You know, it's understandable. That's the world they know. So it's it's interesting to try and get people to see now. One of my favorites is, you know, most people uh, your kid, my kid, you know, they're part of this generation of 100 million young people, the most diverse generation in the history of America, most technologically advanced. And they've been raised doing service, right? It's a fascinating experiment. No one in the history of the world, think about 100 million people raised doing service, you know. Yet on graduation day, you know we say? And choose, you know, do you want to do good deeds or do you want to make money? You know, do you want to be a dot-com business or a dot-org charity? And that idea you have to choose between the two things, I think is a real foolish barrier. And the idea that we define businesses and and the lifestyle with dots you know dot com dot org how crazy is that then you've got to choose based on some kind of dot and that's just an irs thing yet we've got this entrenched mind in fact if you ask most politicians you know who drives the economy they're going to say well it's business drives the economy and he asks, what does charity do and they'd say well i mean they do good deeds they make trouble you know but the reality is nonprofits here in california brought 40 billion dollars into the state last year um, we're major third biggest employer in america So, unfortunately, too few mayors see nonprofits as equal to business and equally important as business in stabilizing and building a community. So, these false ideas sometimes, again, you and I are both men. Sometimes you're raised, what is a man? Oh, you have to be strong, you have to be virile, you can't cry. cry. And and Mm trying to unlearn these rules. So, that idea of, you know, that you can rock life is just my way of saying don't feel like you have to follow other people's rules, make your own. Be recognized, you don't recognize that you have to fit into the larger society in some way and be productive, but don't let anybody tell you this is how it's done.
1: Third question conversations are lifeblood. Lifeblood. Yeah, I mean, you
0: know, it's like, what's the fun of, of, of being mute? You know, if God gave you a tongue, man, use it, but be productive with it. But conversations is how you, you get to know people and you get to understand where somebody else is coming from you know it's like our conversation here it's a joy man hanging with you for a little bit you know totally. you got a beautiful smile you got a great voice man you got a great show i love <laughs> lent trent jent man you, ben, you got it all going on you, know?
1: you got it all going on but no
0: man conversation is lifeblood i i love i'm I, so i'm a talker as you can tell um uh, i think the important part of conversation though is learning to listen
1: totally the extra bonus fill in the blank I did for you and uh, and I'll show you the, the photo afterwards, because hopefully you'll go where I want you to go. Love, blank.
0: Never dies.
1: Love never dies.
0: Yes, uh, I say that because I'm surrounded by people who are dealing with death and dying. And whether it's, uh, you know, I don't want to go seem frivolous at first, because most people think it's always going to be about a human, but... I never had a, a, a dog. And my mother and father-in-law moved in with us, and we got a small little pug dog who we named Jabba, you know, just like Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt. And uh, that dog grew into Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> but uh, I used to say man, because he was all heart, man. And that dog was, that brought dogs so much love into our home, and I wept like a child when that dog died. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things, I've, I'm surrounded by friends who are dealing with similar family, you know, first your parents or sibling or friends who pass, and oftentimes passing isn't gentle and natural. You know, sometimes people choose to take their own life. Sometimes people have accidents or a horrible disease, you know. But I've, I've found that, that that can comfort people, that, that when somebody lets me know that their that, that loved one has died, just send a little note just saying love never dies. You know, that, that idea that that person, that's, that, that's, they're still there, that sometimes we're... So anyway, I just think love... We always think of love, well, I mean, love is eternal. There's a lot of mm-hmm. different ways to say it, but I just love that idea of, if there's any, if I'd like to think any energy maintains after you pass, you know, hopefully it's something that's that it's that love you had in your heart. Hopefully, most of your life, but it, even if it's just some point, you know, and it might have been for something inanimate. It might be again that love for your job, that love for your community, that love for your your spouse, you know. But just that idea.
1: So love for your spouse. That's where I thought you were gonna go because I saw the love on the road. Thing that you do mm-hmm. i have oh, a friend hey. i have a friend and he he sees hearts everywhere like so this is a, That's a beautiful, par- some man. thread under some scissors and for you guys listening you can't man, it's see a reflection, this man. That's beautiful. yes and so you got the reflection and it makes a heart so describe to everyone your love on the road
0: well you know it started because i i travel a lot and speak a lot I've, I've helped open about 60 kitchens around the country and just i like to i like to talk about innovation um but i was walking down the street one day and i saw a heart and cement because you know what you find is most people if they find wet cement they're gonna write their initials or heart <laughs> they uh, still do that they, everybody does <laughs> man. it's just and it's around the world it's funny okay. man but anyway i took a picture and uh and uh, uh sent it to my wife and said you know i love on the road because i was just traveling right and it turns out the next day i saw another one and another one and it just kept going and i don't know how many of these things i found and you know, it's just like I had one yesterday. Last night, I was at uh, uh, at this big chef event, and this amazing chef had a little heart on her wrist. And it's like, hey, can I take a picture? The, the or, tattoo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So anyway, but it's it's. But to to your point of your friend, um, it's fascinating though how what you see if your eyes are open. And to me, this is it's also a form of exercise because it means that when I'm traveling, I'm walking. I'm always my eyes are always open. I'm looking for that love on the road that I seem to find every single day. But again, it's an exercise, just as you would exercise if you go to the gym. For me, the street is my gym, you know, and that idea of trying to keep my eyes open so I know the community, I can hear it. I can find the love in even the most darkest corners of America. You know, that idea is still there. Wow.
1: Would you describe yourself as the the, the phrase, keeping it real? Do you keep it real or would you... More describe yourself as keeping it, new phrase that I heard the other day surreal.
0: I I I'd say keeping it real. Keeping it real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, but not to the point where I think my reality's got to be everybody else's. But you know, there's a sense of trying to be honest. You know, and again, um, it's funny, man. About fifteen, sixteen years ago, I was asked by somebody, you know, what was hard about opening the DC kitchen. That's an understandable question, but I had to stop and say. Well, man, you know, I'm a white dude in America, man. You know, what's hard for me? And that began a, a very purposeful and ongoing sense of, virtually every time I speak now, I, I, I open by acknowledging that and just talking about things like confidence. Again, the reality is when you're born a white man in America, you're born with a sense of I can do anything. There's no There's no barriers. That's, we don't, I mean, you're a father, man, you know, we know what it's like to have a child who feels good about themselves, who feels like they can accomplish things and do anything in that sense of, let me add it, let me let me at the world, you know? A lot of kids don't have that. And so that, I think that that's something that when it comes to keeping it real, I try and always keep it real, you know? Again, that, that man in the mirror, Michael Jackson saying about, you know, you want to be the, you, your real starts at home. Let's put it that way. So I work hard to keep it real, but but, you know, me first, which is why we mentioned earlier that that sad reality. I oftentimes talk about how I get frustrated by how easy my heart can turn bitter towards towards people I don't agree with, and not not hateful, but uh, that. But it's still it's not an emotion I want to deal yeah. with.
1: Offline, we can do this after we get off of the air per se. But I I also do a, a race relations meeting monthly, and being the, the white man in America. And with that perspective, I would love to invite you to that. So I know you travel a lot, but we'll, uh, I'll give you an invitation to that and right. hopefully you'll, you'll show up to that. Um, we're gonna end it with, with this. And you briefly described how we met when my family and I, we were volunteering downstairs prepping vegetables. Um, why do you feel the need to come down and interact and to meet your your volunteers.
0: Well, it's you know um, coming up. I always appreciated it when somebody made you know somebody in authority made me feel welcome. You know, I was always intrigued. Now I don't know about you, man, but I had I had a lot of tough brushes with authority. You know, authority that let me down. Let's put it that way. So I never saw myself as being a boss. Um, but that sense of I am, whether I am the boss, you know, so that idea of just trying to be, uh, there's an old saying, man, you know, I want to be the man I dreamed I'd be when I was 10 years old, you know, and that idea of uh, a decent, nice guy, you know, somebody that that in effect is is just a nice person, so to me, now that's, that's that idea of aspiration, but to be quite honest with you, another part is, I mentioned earlier about how hard it is for me to function in school, you know, after an hour of concentration, man, I I got ADT. I got to get up and do something. And I'm always wandering around, so I can either pester my colleagues here, um, which takes them out of their productive thing that I'm raising money to help them achieve, or I can go downstairs and be and and, and just meet people and just say, "Hi, where are you from, man? You know, uh, look at what we're doing. What are we making today?" So it, it it's 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 a way for me to maintain my sense of of the day, but at the same time, it it, it definitely is. It, I'm motivated by interaction with volunteers because, you know, oftentimes people like understandably look at the kitchen and think we serve people who are hungry or we serve people in the job training program. But I would say, man, people, everybody is a little bit broken. Everybody is looking for something. And so, um, you know, there's uh, that sense of, of when people come here, I think they're, they're they're looking for something. And I want them to know that they're welcome here, that there is something here. We purposely built it. So that there is that place where you can feel productive, needed, like you accomplished something, like you fundamentally did something good for your community. But that idea that, you know, for your children in particular, the idea that you can show them the power of of, of a couple hours of work, you can expose them through working side by side with men and women in the job training program to help them not grow up with prejudices and bigotries about people and their backgrounds or all that kind of stuff. So it's designed to be that place. So... Sometimes I think having the CEO come down, I'd like to think is maybe just another way to feel like, man, this is a place that I've been looking for, and I know a lot of other people that are looking for some place like this. Now, I don't say that because I want to own the world or make the LA kitchen some giant thing, but I'm just trying to say to anybody who comes in, look at this energy, man. This was here already. LA is rich beyond measure. Sometimes we have our eyes so fixed on the stars, we don't see the gold and diamonds at our feet. So that's that's a lot of what it does.
1: True. So we will definitely be back as a family. I can guarantee you that. And definitely I have some groups that I want to to bring in and, and to volunteer also. So before we wrap up, what are the social media platforms, email, anything that you want to give out to yeah, the yeah, listeners, yeah. how they can reach you?
0: Yeah, no, man. I'm easy to find. I'm Egger at lakitchen.org. So that's R-E-G-G-E-R. A nice little palindrome for you. There you go. Um, you know, <laughs> are uh, at the L.A. Kitchen on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, Twitter. I'm at Robert Egger. Uh, like I said, I leave a wide trail of, of, of ideas and accomplishments and smiles and love on the road. So I welcome anybody. Join in.
1: Great. So I want to thank you personally, Robert, for doing this today. And if it were not for you coming downstairs and interacting with your volunteers, obviously this would not be happening right now. So right I want to thank you for the bottom of my heart and keep doing what you're doing. You have a great soul, great spirit, and we love you right for that. Thank so you very Thank much, you man. Thank you, Robert. Venters, it's all about unity in the community and Robert could surely use your help at LA Kitchen, just as I could use your help as far as sharing vent with Trent the Gent with someone who needs an outlet. So remember, until next time, sharing is caring.